Welcome to Leadership on the Go, a podcast brought to you by the Cranfield alumni team, where we speak to former Cranfield students to understand their experience of leadership in real-world situations. Hi there, I'm Phil Renshaw, a researcher at Cranfield University. My field of expertise is the value that organisations derive when they send employees on overseas assignments. Today, though, I'm interviewing Etienne Borges-Cardona, Etienne's a highly experienced businessman from Malta. He shares some lovely stories with me, including how his leadership style has changed due to his time at Cranfield, and also about his devotion to building trust and accountability to achieve success with his teams. Anyway, I'm sure you'll really enjoy listening to Etienne and that you'll hear the gleam in his eye and his mischievous smile. Thanks, Etienne. Really grateful to have your time today. We really appreciate it, given that I know your trips to the UK from Malta and not as regular as you would like them to be. I'd really like to start just by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, so, uh, well, I spent about 30 years in the private sector in a rather large company or group of companies like Home and Malta, following which two years ago, I decided to step off the fast train and uh, open my own advisory and consultancy business. And also, as you know, because we joined Cranfield in the same year, started a PhD three years ago now in leadership and management, researching something which is very close to my heart, which ties in very, very much to my experience in the private sector, which is attracting talented executives to medium-sized business, SMEs typically, which, you know, as you as you can imagine, is, is, is an area where you have a rather disadvantaged situation because the big names, you know, have a lot more to offer. Mm-hmm. And yet we find that many talented executives eventually find their place in, in, in SMEs. And I thought that was worth looking for. It, I was, I, it was, was a very important part of my, my job, looking for good people and uh, persuading them to come on board and join our group. So, you know, I thought there was something there and this is something worth researching. Brilliant. Sounds fascinating. So if you think a bit about what you've learned while studying with Cranfield... Hmm. What do you think you may have taken back from that into the world of work? Hmm. One thing which stands out really, you know, prominently is I remember my first six months at Cranfield. So I had been in, in the private sector and in probably what we can call practice for all my working life. And this is the approach I knew. This is the way I knew how things were done. And I have to say that when I, when I turned up at Cranfield in the first week, I was probably feeling quite confident about myself and I'd be able I'd be able to handle this just like I'd handled, you know, some other things. That uh, assumption was very, very quickly demolished <laughs> in, I think, my first week, at the end of my first week, when I faced uh, an audience and presented my work and it, and it was, you know, lots of holes were punched, <laughs> punched in. And I realized that this was going to need uh, a completely you know, an unlearning of what I had done or of the approach of writing and of researching I had to date and then and, and I'd have to learn it pretty much from scratch. And that's been a very interesting journey. It's been a very valuable journey. The world of practice and the world of academia are two completely different animals. I'm not going to say that one is superior to the other, but they certainly are different. And in academia, we, we don't pronounce ourselves on anything before we are really sure of the footing we're on. That is a really valuable approach. That is a very valuable way to think, to make sure that before you, you know, pass an opinion, you really have some solid ground 
and it's actually, I have to say, affected even in the, in, you know, in the way I, I think about things and even the way I speak. And, and I think that that is, you know, uh, helped me a lot. I consider it a big positive. It has been, it's been a great development on my part to be able to be a little bit more careful about expressing an opinion about something or, you know, just to reflect a little bit beforehand. Mm-hmm. So Etienne, when you think of these things that you've learned from being in academia, so to speak, and working with Cranfield, how do you think that's changed you in your role as a leader? So certainly, I think the academic approach, which is a very different approach from what you'd find in, in private practice, I'm sure has had an effect of the way that, you know, I've worked with my team and interacted with my team, hopefully in a better way, because it does make you a little bit more reflective. You're a little bit more careful of, you know, drawing conclusions too quickly. I think a research approach as well. Cranfield, certainly the experience here has really taught me about the value and the importance of research of, you know, of, of robust data and using data to be able to draw conclusions from which to take decisions. You know, that this does happen, of course, in, in industry and the private sector. But I think the very disciplined way that we are trained to research, I'm sure, must have rubbed off. If I asked your, um, your team members or your colleagues uh-huh. to describe how you might have changed or how you are now, what do you think they might they say? They would say for the worse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me say that obviously leadership and managing a, a group when you know you have a lot of interaction with people, with clients, with suppliers, is a lifelong learning experience. Okay, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to take decisions, you're going to, you know, you're not going to get it right every time, and hopefully, um, you know, age and experience does help. So, you hopefully surround yourself with a team of very good people, people who will challenge you and people who will basically disagree with you. Okay, that's very important. And, you know, finally you need to decide and you're going to get it right, hopefully more often than you get it wrong. Tell me a bit more about having people around you who challenge you, you know, challenge your opinions. Yes. How do you manage that? Mm-hmm. This is something which I see is very different in the different generations. Okay, so um, I worked for most of my career in a family business. And the previous sort of management style and leadership style was very much of the sort of a strong leader who basically decides on direction and people would follow. And that doesn't really work very, very well anymore. It's, um, I think, young people, millennials who are coming up want uh, a very different uh, leadership style. They want more involvement. They want to be able to challenge and disagree and that really that's the kind of people you want to have around you so you know i used to have uh, monthly management meetings where it was a very open discussion it was out of the office in a hotel close by where they had a very in a, in a boardroom where we could really relax for an afternoon put everything out there on the table and talk uh, like colleagues without any hierarchy and, you know, it was, uh, and everyone was uh, expected to really throw the arguments around, voice their opinions, be able to disagree very, very freely and the challenge, you know, and I was very, very privileged and lucky to have had a very good team around me of people who, you know, were really team players, but would also make their opinion heard. And then when, when we decide, then they would back the decision. Sometimes even if they disagreed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, they were right. 
and we revisit the decision, you know, six months later and say, listen, this was sort of a, a, a wrong turn and we need to, to come back. But it was something which probably the, these, were, these were the moments which I look back on, which uh, gave the most pleasure. Because in those sort of brainstorm sessions, a lot of good work was done. What did you do to encourage their willingness to share ideas and challenge and brainstorm? We would try to really encourage an atmosphere when we were in these meetings that, you know, listen, I mean, a decision is going to happen. And if we have any reservations, let's come out with them now, uh, mm -hmm. because this is going to be like now a, a communal decision which we're taking together for better or for worse. And I think everyone was, was very, very relaxed and very, very open. And people, of course, were were happy to share maybe even concerns, you know, listen, if this, if this goes wrong and if, uh, if this doesn't work out. Uh, I think everyone also walked away with the, with, the, with, the, with the sense that we have each other's backs, you yep. know. So yep. we've taken decision together. We've thrown around the old things which we think are concerning us. We may have not have been in complete agreement, but now that we've decided this is a communal decision, nobody has stuck his neck out too much. So we'd come out of there feeling, you know, okay, this is something we've decided together and now we're going to face the music I was made. And, and that gives people a sense that, you know, they're not alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if it does come out the right way, then we can celebrate together. And if it, if it turns, you know, it goes south, there's no finger pointing then. Yep. We, we decided this together and basically, you know, we'll carry it together. That, that's good. It sounds, it sounds excellent as a, as a method. It sounds like listening to each other was crucial as well. Yes. First of all, one thing which I, I was very privileged to have is that everybody had a big deal of respect for each other. So these were people who were very good at their job. It wasn't a very big team. We'd be six or seven in the room. Mm -hmm. And um, all very good at what they did, be it finance, be it operations, be it marketing, be it HR. They knew that stuff very well. So there was a real healthy respect for each other's capabilities. There was also respect in terms of how people would treat each other. You know, so people would, would, would give weight onto what other people said. Obviously, you always have the inevitable tensions, for example, between sales and finance, okay? Yeah. Sales people want to sell, finance, you know, have to look at, at the numbers and have to be careful about working capital. So these were almost ingrained. It's, it's inevitable you have them. But, um, and this doesn't happen overnight, incidentally, Phil. This also was a period of getting to know each other and more importantly, getting to trust each other. Mm. Okay, so this, this happened over a period of time. I'd say that it took probably about 18 months uh, until we were at a point where I think we were getting the maximum out of these sessions. And it was more about people learning how to trust and how to, you know, feel really fully comfortable to come out with fears, concerns, ideas. What did you do to enable them to trust each other? Okay, um... So, first of all, some decisions are, go are not going to work out. And there, I think, trusting meant, listen, we, we take the decision together and we stand and fall together. Okay? So, I would never uh, allow a situation to happen where there would be a fall person, mm. a fall guy. I would, I would insist that any, any decision which I think is going to have a repercussion on the business, positive or negative, needs to come to these sessions and be taken collectively. That doesn't mean that, obviously... We get a paralysis where everything needs to go through committee and then nothing ever gets done. I was, we were very, very disciplined. In fact, that these are decisions to be taken today and we walk out of here with decisions. Some sessions took longer than others. Okay, so sometimes we walked out on time and sometimes we didn't. And sometimes I have to say that there were good valid points for and against and we differ. 
with sleepover and, 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 and revisit. But the more we work together like that, the more I think people began to relax and began to say, okay, <clears throat> let me come really prepared because it's something I really am keen on, on getting a green light on. But let me be really careful that to have everybody on board with me, let me make sure I've, I'm prepared enough to consider properly people's concerns and challenges to whatever is being proposed. And we came up with systems where people would come with proper board papers and present things well, you know, in, in brief, but really, and it, it worked it worked really, really nicely. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like you were, you in particular, but others perhaps in the room were acting as role models, so being willing to, to listen, being willing to say we don't have enough data or we haven't reflected on this enough, you know, let's defer the decision. Yes, and because inevitably you also have differences in personalities. Some characters are stronger than others. Some people are a little more confident than others, sure of themselves than others, have been there longer. So, you know, people who haven't been as long would, would, would typically feel that they should sort of uh, hold back a bit and let the more experienced people think. And obviously, then you'd have also decisions which would affect different departments in different ways. So something which would enable one department to shine would probably possibly be a burden on another. Okay. But the, the more often we met and... There was a lot of, yes, what you say, sort of role models. I, I would expect that the people, you know, my top team, people had been with me almost since the beginning, which I have, you know, daily conversations with, I would, I would always uh, encourage to really um, lead by example, which means, you know, giving everyone his due or her due and enabling and encouraging people to disagree and to challenge. This is really important, you know. This is something which I think uh, if you really want leadership to work, and I'm not sort of reinventing the wheel or coming out with any rocket science, but having a team which really are, first of all, good at what they do, you need competence, okay? That's clear. Today, you need, really need to have the top people if you can around you. Two, people who can work together well, trust each other, good chemistry. Uh, people who you're comfortable even to go out with after work and have a drink, you know? So, And then people who, um, you know, can um, challenge the argument, not the person. And that keeps everyone on their toes because, you know, you really have to go there prepared and, and, you know, have to prepare to defend it in that sort of arena. So I think, I don't know, but for me it works. Completely different question then. Uh, To what extent do you think coaching is something you use when you're working with other people? Okay, I really, I'm a really big believer in leadership by example. So even a little bit old school sometimes, which means being there... Not necessarily before everyone else, but certainly quite often, and leaving after everyone else. And by my actions, really trying to to explain how I expect people to behave by, you know, just the way I do it myself. Obviously, like everyone else, you make mistakes. But we have some very particular good Maltese expressions, which I won't repeat because you won't understand. But not to look at faces, you know, but to look at situations. Right. So treat everybody fairly. Yeah. Fairness is, 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 is and and be seen to be fair. Act fair and be seen to be fair. And I think you know taking people to one side every every so often behind closed doors and in a quiet way explain uh, if there's something you are in particular happy with, or a person who behaved in a certain way in front of you know during a meeting or with a client that you were not particularly happy with now. Again, there's a way and a way of doing this, you know, and I think this is something which there's no textbook about. Every person is different, every person reacts differently. And 
I also had uh, a few trusted people in the organization, not necessarily part of my top management team, who every so often would come into my office and close the door. That was usually a bad sign. <laughs> the person, I'd want to get told off. And a person would, you know, have a very open door policy and people would walk in and close the door and say, listen, yesterday this and that happened and I think that, you know, you shouldn't have acted like that. So that, that was fine because every so often messages would come up from here and there in the organization. Typically people had been working for me for a long time. And I would encourage to come up and speak up. Another thing I'm just remembering that I used to do quite often, Phil, is that in middle management, I would take them out to lunch alone. So I'd have a policy that every two weeks I'd take out a middle manager uh, out for lunch. They knew that basically whatever was discussed would be kept completely confidential. And we would talk not just about work, we'd talk about family, about you know, you know, people's plans, career, family, and... Uh, you know, whatever they do in their free time. And uh, people would really look forward to these sessions and people would really talk. You know, people would really, really open up. I would make it very clear at the beginning of the lunch and then they'd reduce it because they used to repeat every so often is that, listen, whatever you feel like saying here, this is your chance, you know, you've got a bit of face time, really open up. And you, you know, anything about the organization or even about yourself that you feel that you want to talk about, this is a really good time to talk about it. Those were really useful. First of all, it, it enabled me to get to know my people better. And secondly, um, you'd learn a lot about the organization that sometimes you wouldn't necessarily know. So anyway, those were, were useful as well. Yeah, those sound really clever. That's the, um, that's the sort of classic idea of a, of a management one-to-one -one meeting, but perhaps with a Maltese twist by involving lunch. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Excellent yes. way of doing it. But not a boozy lunch, <laughs> okay. I, I would add. So it was alcohol-free. Excellent. What do you think you'd give us a, as a tip as a final question, what would you give as a tip to someone coming into management now about management style, leadership, uh -huh. coaching, these things you've talked about? Well, first of all, uh, it's all about people and it's all about good people. So I think, uh, first of all, I would say, don't be afraid to surround yourselves with very good people. Dare I say, even people better than you. Trust people and get them to trust you would be another tip I would give. Try and create a really core team where you have good trust and where you can work together with good chemistry. Take time to celebrate, you know, go out when after a good, you've won a good deal or something, sort of go out, enjoy it, you know, have because the bad times are going to come and you're going to be having to regroup as, as well and cover each other. So if you can create a really good team around you of competent people with good personality, with good character, who, you know, really gel together well, and are in the foxhole with you when the bullets are flying and are uh, down at the bar having beers when, when it's time to celebrate, you know, then if you manage to put a, a good executive team together, that, that um, then becomes almost infectious and it cascades down into the whole organization. They look up to this team and see how they are working. They, you know, and they sort of, it, it's, it's really a good, uh, it switches on the organization really nicely. It's not easy and you don't always get it right first time because people are the most unpredictable element within any organization, resource, I would say. So people have bad days, people ha come to work with, with a problem, you know, people have problems in their personal lives and this is inevitably it's going to happen. But I think putting, and the thing will not happen overnight. So putting a good team together, you'll have a few people who just won't make it or will, will, will leave or will not make the grade or will fall out. But eventually I think when the core nucleus team gets together, that's a really good recipe. Brilliant. Lots of great wisdom in there. I think more than one tip. Thanks, Etienne. That's super. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. Many of the ideas that we discuss on these podcasts 
linked directly to my book with Jenny Robinson. It's called Coaching on the Go and is published by the Financial Times and Imprint of Pearson. If you'd like to learn more about me or about Jenny, please be sure to visit our website, www.coachingonthego.co.uk. Or you can just jump on Amazon and search for Coaching on the Go where you'll find our book. Thank you for listening along with us. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, you can find Leadership on the Go on cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni, where you can browse our complete archive and check out new episodes.